Hello, and welcome to a finely aged blood wine episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosher and Travis Santana, and today we're reviewing part one of our Corey Feldman trilogy with 1987's The Lost Boys. We'll jump into five-point inspection with R. Matey? Scream King, Pulling Teeth, Lost Connections, and of course, Corey Feldman. But before we do, let's check in on the shop. Oh shit, you scared the fuck out of me. You can dim the light a little bit, Jesus. It's, it's like nine at night. Why are you wearing sunglasses? Look, it's it's been a long day, all right? A long day? Really? Can you tell me what was so long about it because you weren't in the shop? I, I don't have time for this. I, I gotta go work on the books. What's the matter, Travis? Aren't we friends anymore? Mm, yeah, sure. Does that mean we are or we aren't? We are. Then let's act like friends. Let's talk. You know, when you asked to work some OT overnight, I was cool with it. But we have customers in the day, and I haven't seen you here when the sun's up in, in two weeks. All right, look, Brett, I'm a vampire, all right? A goddamn shit-sucking vampire. Dude, what? Look over there, I can see you in the mirror. Yeah, but the thing is, you invited me to be your business partner. Thus, I show up in the mirror. But if we were across the street at the pizza place, you'd be invisible? I... I think so. Speaking of pizza, you had a shit ton of garlic the other night. Yeah, garlic don't work, my man. Whoa, hold on a second. Just back up. Have you been killing people? You've got to drink people's blood to live, right? Uh, yeah, you'd think so, but I I'm only half vampire. I I'm just really sleepy all day. What? This logic seems all over the place. Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, God, you're now you're floating. I, I don't know, man. Just just grab my arm and pull me down. I, I'm not even sure how high I'll float if, if left to my own devices. This is a lot to take in. L let's look for some answers while we discuss the Lost Boys. A mother and her two sons move in with her father in an eccentric coastal town in California in an effort to get back their lives after a divorce. While enjoying the nightly entertainment, the oldest brother is entranced by a young woman and finds himself part of an unusual dirt bike gang. Meanwhile, the younger brother wanders into a comic shop that doubles as the secret headquarters for a couple of would-be teenage vampire hunters. As the family tries to settle into their new beachside community, they'll start to understand what they mean by blood is thicker than water. All right, Travis. You know we'll get into five-point inspection, but I have to know, what is your quick diagnostic of 1987's The Lost Boys? Uh, well, technically this is the Corey Feldman trilogy, but as you pointed out off mic, this, this could also be called the Hollywood Chop Shop Nostalgia Trilogy, because I think all three movies in this trilogy hold a, uh, a close place to our heart. Maybe not both of us on each movie, but I think you're represented by the Goonies. I'm definitely represented by Ninja Turtles. This movie, I, I can't recall. Had you seen this before? I had not. Oh, this I, was my first viewing I'm, of The Lost Boys. I'm so excited, <laughs> doubly excited to hear what you think. You, uh, like I said off mic, your eyes were lit up like a kid on Christmas. So I'm curious to where you're going with this. Here's what I'll say, having seen it 
way back probably in the early 90s and a few times since then. I was very nostalgic for this movie. I really remembered thinking this was a edgy kind of R-rated, but still kind of played to children, strong comedy slash drama. Uh, as we often say, looking through a critical lens, wow, was I, I missed <laughs> on this one. I, I still like elements of it, but... There's a certain point in the movie where I was like, oh, OK, this is not going to be a, a real movie at all. We have sacrificed. We don't we don't give a shit about characterization or anything else. Just make it look pretty, you know, just have guys <laughs> with mullets and earrings and leather jackets and let's make it look pretty. So, yeah, I've got some nitpicks, but I'm, I'm curious your overall thoughts being the first time you saw it. OK, for the, I'll say this. This is one of those weird ones where, like, I try and put myself in when this movie came out because it is a movie of a bygone era uh, and we will get into in the five points what i mean by that um because i feel like a lot of this movie was i think at the time some of the visuals been like oh my god like especially when you had the one vampire die and all the like the waterworks in the house are exploding out like that's something you'd go and talk about like you wouldn't believe like i don't even know how they, there's just it's blood is shooting out everywhere like there's a ton of stuff like that where it's like Back in 1987, I'm sure, like, that was some hot shit, like, it, to go and see that. Obviously, in, in an era like today where you have the graphics and all that, where you have to, I think, develop characters a little bit more because you can't just rely on graphics anymore. Because at this point, I think a lot of audiences are kind of just... They've, they've been there, done that. Like, there's only so much better you can do with graphics, almost like the same with video games. Like, at a certain point, you're actually going to have to start developing stories because the visuals don't mean anything everybody's doing the same thing so um with that said i had always heard about the lost boys i knew the lost boys was about vampires i i don't even think i've ever seen clips from this movie before maybe a still shot of keith your sutherland as a vampire so i knew what he looked like not that it took any like thought to figure out they were vampires but i will tell you this travis I always thought The Lost Boys was more of a stand by me with vampires or maybe like a coming of age, maybe like almost more like a hook movie with like, you know, the the Lost Boys where it's going to be about the, these maybe young teenage vampires that, you know, they feel abandoned by society and like they're having to come together, all, you know, maybe even like a breakfast club type thing. This movie's nowhere near that, okay? This movie can be, be best summed up to me by Tim fucking Capello, all right? Now, I'm not sure if you recognize that name, but I'm sure you'd recognize his saxophone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's when I realized what this movie was. Because the beginning, you have almost like a Shining-esque, like, oh, the family going, th you know, driving through, getting to their new place where they're going to live and all that. And, and kind of like, it just feels like, oh, the, the new the newcomers and all that, they're getting away from the, the divorce and kind of understanding how weird the neighborhood are the you know santa santa Clara, car carla santa carla santa carla is going to be the murder capital of the world whatever so i'm like okay we're some establishing some of this when we get that beachside concert and fucking tim capello is up there for the, anybody who just so happened to have not watched this movie and is listening to this podcast tim capello I, you're going to have to help me describe this guy, okay? So, for starters, the song... I'm going to describe the guy first, all right? So, he is this muscled-up, oiled guy, shirtless man. 
in purple spandex pants with a cod piece over him. He has pulled back curly long hair. It's I it might even be a mullet, but I think it's a little bit pulled back. He has a chain, like literally chains hanging from his neck, and he is gyrating playing the fucking saxophone, all right? Now, the thing is, as I described the man, he sounds like a pro wrestler. Maybe he should be singing Metallica, maybe some Poison. I'll even throw in Red Hot Chili Peppers as the style of music. I would be like something more aggressive and edgy, right? No, it is like soft, synthy, like... I would say it's if Kenny Loggins decided to to record shirtless is almost the the vibe I get. Like it's not nearly as aggressive as you would expect. It is just the weirdest, the weirdest <laughs> image. And meanwhile, the concert has fire. They're just flicking up, and like this is where Michael sees Star for the first time, and like they're dancing. I'm like, there's so much weird shit going on in this scene. I'm like, okay. Now I know. I know what we're getting in for. And that was the exact moment I knew what kind of movie this was. Which is bonkers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's an obvious transition to one of my five points if you want to start it out. Let's do it. Uh, Scream King. Um, so he, here's the thing. I, I didn't know this probably up until this viewing. The director of this movie, rest in peace, Joel Schumacher, was an openly gay man. Um, seeing this movie as a kid, I didn't quite pick up on, I would say, the subtext. But, I mean, like you said, we lead off with a shirtless pro wrestler playing the saxophone and singing, what is it, I still believe, I still believe. It's, yes. Um <laughs> And so Scream King is about, I wouldn't say the lead of this film, because there, there are several co-leads, but Corey Haim as Sam. Um, I feel like Joel Schumacher wanted to make a movie and subvert the Scream Queen trope, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, um, Helen Langenkamp, I believe, in, in uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. He wanted to have the Scream Queen beat Corey Haim in this movie. And again, the gay subtext, I noticed, I don't know if you've noticed, but on his uh, closet door, on the inside of the door is a picture of Rob Lowe, like in a cutoff, like muscle T-shirt and like he's leaning against the wall. And it's on the inside of his closet door. I Later on in the movie, I don't know if you noticed, Corey Haim wears a Born to Shop t-shirt. No, I did not notice that. It, yeah, it literally says Born to Shop. And so I couldn't help but notice how he, uh, Schumacher, wanted to have a gay lead. But in 87, I'm I'm sure that that would have been a problem. So he placed some, some not so subtle uh, hints at that. And then the reason I say Scream King is because I don't know if you notice in the last third of this movie, it seemed like they had Corey Haim record some ADR screaming and they mm -hmm. just used that same sound effect 800 times in the in the third act of this movie. Just if you go back and watch it, if you're listening or Brett, listen to how many times Corey Haim just does the same kind of Wilhelm scream that they recorded once clearly. All right. I mean, I, if I go back and watch it again, I definitely will do that. Um, 
So, do you want to go ahead and do our matey next? Uh, yeah, because I, I think it fits the overall theme of this movie. So, it's the way I wrote it, the way I intended to to say it is R, maybe. Um, why is this movie rated R? I there's only one real scene that earns the R rating. Other than that, it's very, it's more like the it, Goonies than it is a horror movie. And that's where I think it goes again to the whole bygone era. I think in the eighties, like the amount of again, it's almost comical the the vampire gore where it's rushing out of the walls. I think that's where it gets the R rating from. Because even when the the vampire gang they attack the 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 guys and they're biting their heads, like even that's not that aggressive. I mean, honestly, I think David's death is probably the most gruesome where he gets impaled by the antler and it's like just he's just kind of standing there and there's, but yeah i i wouldn't say there's anything by today's standards that would have made this an r versus a pg-13 and i hate to play the role of studio exec because you know that's a lot of what's wrong with hollywood but if i'm a studio exec i'm saying like wait we've got Corey Haim, we've got Corey feldman we've got a very young cast and you want to make this r just to have Kiefer Sutherland bite somebody's head uh, and then, like you said, get impaled at the end. Like we could we could trim that back to PG-13 and make a lot more money on the audience we're truly marketing this to. So I thought it was just a bizarre choice for this to be rated R. So I was trying to look up. It has mild sex and nudity. Which that was just that soft core fucking skinamax scene between start um violence was moderate profanity was mild alcohol and drug use was mild maybe that he i think he gives him a joint at one point the frightening and intense scenes was moderate like yeah even even this doesn't have anything as as being high or aggressive or anything like that so yeah, and I didn't look up any of the box office numbers for obvious reasons, but it, in my mind, this movie is a hit. I don't know if it's more of a cult classic, but I just I just wonder how much money they left on the table because I don't... If you're going to go R-rated here, I, I wish they would have done more. Like, when I mm -hmm. said in the opening, I the movie peaked for me when they're on the the train bridge and they, they fall into the fog and, and you know... Mm -hmm. I thought that scene was great, Uh like you were talking about earlier, I know clearly that that was shot and just below that smoke was a giant, you know, crash pad. But I appreciated that way more than if it if that movie had been done, if this movie had been done today, that would have been terrible CGI where you could tell they're not hanging over a river. Uh, so I kind of right. like the practical effects there, but the movie peaked there. Like I thought maybe they were going to do because, I mean, ultimately, this movie is about. Like, even the little kid, like, there's, like, what, like, a little nine-year-old that's in The Lost Boys? Like, that's tragic to think about a, a, a kid having to live forever in a nine-year-old's body and have that innocence taken. The movie doesn't do anything with any of that. So, it kind of peaks early, and then it's just kind of a, a slow ride to the end. So, that'll get into my two five points. 
Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I don't see why this movie got an R rating. It didn't take anything near. If you're going to get the R rating, then push it, right? Make a scene that people are going to talk about. Because to me, all you're going to talk about is I don't understand why this was R. I mean, what you, so, what people think about is the saxophone player. To, literally to your <laughs> point. So, yeah. <laughs> um. So mine will probably start to kind of merge uh, a little bit but i have my two main five points were pulling teeth and lost connections we'll start with pulling teeth um so pulling teeth for me was getting any kind of character development in this movie was like pulling teeth uh because there's none there's no character development in this movie and i, I think it again goes back to what i'm talking about a bygone era because i think the movie experience the movie going experience in the 80s and even 90s, early 90s, I think was a little bit different because it was a lot of escapism. There wasn't as much media out there. So sometimes it was just going to a theater for a popcorn movie, as you know, we like to say, where you just went there for the effects. You went there to see the battle at the end or to see Kiefer Sutherland in the makeup or just, I mean, David, or not David, sorry, Michael looked cool in this movie. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the earring, but I mean, the sunglasses, the leather jacket, like, he had a, a cool fucking look. I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna try and, and take that away. Like, he looked like a badass in this movie. Uh, but I think there's certain qualities of this movie where, like, you just kind of went to be entertained, whereas, again, today, there's just so much out there that it actually has to have somewhat of a story or characters that you really latch on to in order to get you to, to go back to it, because... If I'm, I think this movie was shot more like a pilot episode for a series than it was an actual movie. <laughs> so, um, we'll start with, you know, the two people that I are the three characters that might have had some level of growth. I'm not even gonna say growth, but just something happened with them. I thought David seemed like for someone who lived forever and to be the leader of his gang i thought his death scene to me implied that he was actually relieved to die especially with the light shining on him and i forget what the song was that was playing but it almost felt like Kiefer sutherland's character was almost happy to be dying and not be a vampire anymore like there was a certain relief like we have no idea how old he was but would you agree with the way that was shot that it did it seemed like he was actually at peace with dying yeah, it definitely see with the light. It seemed like it was a, a a release for him. Yeah, and and I think a lot of that has to do with the whole movie. You think he's the leader, but he's truly not. And it almost again, we're giving this movie way too much credit with that one shot. But it, yeah, it feels like maybe David <laughs> was tired of of living under the thumb of Max. I, I could definitely mm. believe that if 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 the scriptwriter told me that's what he was going for. Uh, well, even then, because you have to think like a lot of the stuff that David did was like kind of daredevil stuff, the bicycle, like tr almost driving the bike off of the cliff. Like, I think there was a certain level of envy he had for Michael. And maybe that's why when you find out Michael was supposed to be killed, why maybe he let Michael live was almost he was passing his curse on to him because of his envy of, you know, Michael with Star, like that relationship he saw Star getting with, you know, with Michael. He saw Michael actually being able to, to actually have fear of death again as he almost drove off that cliff and even getting into a fight. Like there was a certain there was a sign of life that Michael had that I think David had started to lose. So I, I think in its own way, David kind of had an arc where he was actually kind of relieved to die there at the end. Um Lucy 
being a divorcee, I thought they almost did a little bit with her uh, uprooting her family, abandoning everything, willing to just like, hey, nobody likes a nasty divorce. I'm going to just take my family and try and, and rebuild. And then her trying to find love and trying to reconnect with her kids. And then by the end, like they kind of. But again, that's very haphazard. And I won't really say there's a lot of development there. Um, and the only other person I can say might have had a little bit of development was Max. In the 30 seconds, you find out that he wanted a family. But even then, not really a lot of character development. Like this movie, like I'm really stretching to try and find where. I was going to say, you're being very, very generous with even I'm, these I'm just trying to latch on to anything where we start to see some like. Part of my problem is like Sam and Michael are supposed to be brothers. We never see any kind of brotherly love aside from the fact that they both went to that Tom Capello concert together. Um, and at which point Michael abandons Sam to go after some Poonfang. Um, so, um, uh, but at real this- quick though, back to my uh, Scream King. You say they don't show any sort of brotherly love when uh, Sam pulls Michael into the window when Michael is floating away, which as I pointed out in the opening, I don't understand the floating away thing. But if you, again, if you go back and watch, they grab each other's faces and are like <laughs> this close together. Like we got to stick together, Sam, we got to stick together. The, the, the stroking of their face. Look, I, Joey is my brother. Love him to death. We have never held each other's faces. Travis, my favorite part about that scene is not what six scenes earlier. Sam is like, "You're a face, you're a blood sucking vampire. I'm gonna kill you." I'm like, "He's your fucking brother." Like, he, Sam snap or flips on Michael so fast, and I'm like, "There's nothing in this movie that suggests why Sam is ready to kill his brother so quickly, other than he read a comic book." Like, there's no, there's nothing to substantiate. Like, does Sam blame Michael for his parents getting divorced or anything? Why Sam would just immediately want to kill his brother I'm like, there's just nothing just all of a sudden it's uh what was the the dog's name nanook, nanook. which is the real nanook yes. is the mvp of this movie um but nanook bites him and then all of a sudden it's like what did you do to my dog which again let's be weird about this what 14 year old is fucking taking a bath all right that's another thing i thought that was weird in this movie other than uh, maybe they're trying to establish that there's a bathtub in this house which i didn't need because most houses have bathtubs and so i didn't singing, need to know that there was a bathtub he's singing show tunes in the bathroom yeah as well mm. scream king um yeah so there's a lot of that um Sam had no growth moment in this entire movie. Like, to your point, if it was supposed to be he came out at the end of the movie or something, that would have been some somewhat interesting, but nothing happens there. It's not a matter of we found out that Sam was a loner and now he's got friends in the Frog Brothers. So there's just... Even Michael doesn't have any growth. He was basically a loner who allowed peer pressure to turn him into a vampire. And then at the end, I don't feel like he's any closer to his family than or his mom than he was. Like, there's just... There's absolutely... No character development in this movie whatsoever. It is what you get is what you get. Yeah, it's weird. There's not only no character development, but the characters don't start in a place to your point where it feels like they're actually a family. Like, I don't feel the mother ever really showing love to the kids. I don't feel the kids showing any love to the mother. It it does not feel like a real family. Like you said, it feels like a setup to a TV show. Like, hey, through, mm-hmm. at the end of season one, you'll understand what brings this family together. But in this two hour movie, there is none of it. It is all 
flash and no substance. So now, Travis, we'll get into my, what I've been waiting for, Lost Connections. <laughs> I have so many questions for this movie, okay? And I, again, will preference, I enjoyed watching it, but there is so, there's so much I need answers on, all right? Here's number one. I loved the, the, the end, the, the final line of this movie. The sale, the thing. Well, I can't, I can't remember what the quote is. But One like, thing I, just, I could I never stand about Santa Carla, all the damn vampires. Okay, so that line establishes a lot in this movie that we didn't get until that line. The last line is uttered. First off, it's the grandfather of Vampire Hunter because it implies maybe that's why he's got all this animal shit across his house. Well, there's several scenes of him planting stakes around his house. Why his truck would have a bunch of wooden stake, giant wooden stakes in the back of it. Like, are we implying that the father is a is a or the grandfather is a vampire hunter? I need that that question answered first. I mean, if you're legitimately asking, I, I don't know. I've never read that in the lore. Honestly, I I hope that's the case, but the movie does nothing beyond setting those little shallow details. Because if that's the case, I feel like Lucy, the mother, should know that her father is a vampire hunter. And then when Sam is telling her that the town is full of vampires, that should not be a surprise to her. And she should not feel like she should not be treating him like he's crazy. Right? So we have that. My next question, how do the frog brothers know so much? All right. Is the grandfather kind of there? Like, like there's no person that passed down that. Like usually if you're going to have that kind of a character, like the frog brothers, like, they're older and they know stuff like they're the ones passing knowledge on to Sam and maybe Michael because they've been doing this for so long or like they're old or crazy like no they're the same age as Sam so where did they get all of their vampire knowledge from all right and to that point how come some of it is missing or a little dodgy right because we didn't find out that garlic doesn't have any effect on them until and that's another thing I had is weird with this movie this movie Puts you in the position that the assumption is that the audience has a lot of vampire lore under their belt already. All right. And then just, I don't know, can vampires float? Do they have to turn into bats? I don't know if that is a thing that happens. And the, ha the um, half vampire bullshit. Like, oh, you're not a full vampire, vampire until you kill somebody. That the I knew that vamp like in some cultures vampires have to be invited in. I didn't realize that that made, gave them human <laughs> a human cloak when you, they were invited in. I thought it was just kind of a boundary that you had to be invited in in order to come into the home. So I thought that was an interesting thing, and I didn't realize. Um, I knew about the alpha vampire thing, so I kind of understood what was going on there. But like, there's a lot of like weird stuff with the with the vampires. <laughs> All right, so. Um, oh yeah, so the audience is supposed to, they also never explain holy water, that's just something I'm supposed to know as an audience that the holy water is a, is something that, that affects them, right? So, um, when were all of the other vampire, like Marco and the other two converted? Because to me it seems very strange that it feels like David and his crew were just them. And then all of a sudden they wanted to add three new people because they had Michael star and what's the little kid's name? Laddie, I think. Or yeah, yeah. Laddie. Yeah. And the matter of four days, <laughs> they decided that they're going to almost double their troop. I'm like, 
Meanwhile, it's the murder capital of the world because apparently everyone else is being eaten. Like, what made them decide that? And we can try and say the Max line that they wanted to create a family, but why did they need to add another kid and star? Even that makes a weird thing because now you've made star. Is that supposed to be David's sister or his lover? Well, I, I'm assuming that when you say they added Laddie and Star, I'm assuming you're basing that on the milk carton with Laddie on it, like when he went missing. That and the fact that they have to kill in a certain amount of time, otherwise they become more weaker. And we, like by the end of the movie, Star and Star has almost no power because she's so weak because she hasn't killed anybody yet. Yeah, I guess logically speaking, you couldn't just go. But I, I don't know that the movie does a terrible job of setting up the rules and the stakes. Like, cause I'm wondering if, if Michael the just, stakes. <laughs> if Michael just, you know, eats Chinese food and sleeps all day, can he be a half vampire forever or will he die? Do they even explicitly state that? Uh, also, that's two things in that scene that also confused me. Cause I didn't think vampires ate anything but blood. And secondly, I didn't realize they had mind control powers where they could make you see things. Cause that's another thing that, never comes back up <laughs> yeah and you would think you would think that's a pretty good trope to use in a third act fight and yeah it, it never comes back it's just a gag with chinese food and it's never brought up explained again <laughs> so yeah that was those were questions that i had uh my next series of questions is our thing is statement is the star and michael relationship makes no sense from the beginning of the movie where unless you're going for like the romeo and juliet love at first sight thing but then when you realize what was actually going on it makes even less sense what happens with him that she was going to kill michael to become a vampire so that means that she had a thing with david david was going to convert her I, I what was going on there she decides not to kill him when michael finds out he's been converted into a vampire and that she is also half vampire and was supposed to kill him they decide to fuck <laughs> In the cave with everybody else. And not even like a discreet location or something. It's just the bed in the middle of the cave. And then apparently David and his crew, they show up and go straight into their little tunnel, wherever it is, and don't even realize that they have boned somewhere in the other cave. At the same time, where the fuck is Laddie in all of this? Because that kid's <laughs> got to be around there somewhere uh, when this is going on. So that's another situation. I'm like, I feel like there's something going on here that we decided not to explain. Uh, I mean, to go back to our earlier review of Crazy Stupid Love, I imagine Laddie as, as Robbie just sitting in the corner, just stroking his <laughs> dick, watching the Cinemax softcore porn being shot in front of him. So you also talk about how tragic it would be to be trapped in a nine-year-old body. Who was Laddie supposed to kill so he became a vampire permanently? They don't really bring that up that Laddie, who was going to take him out for his final kill? What the fuck was going on with that? I, you know what? I never even thought about that part. Like, yeah, we know who Star's first kill is, but Laddie, yeah, they've got to ostensibly set that up for him as well. Also seems to like it. That shouldn't have been a struggle. They should have been able to say, hey, nine-year-old, you're part of our crew. Go kill that dude. But for some reason, they're going to let Star and Michael become full vampires before him. And again, like we mentioned before, if you're going to make this rated R, have Laddie go to that campfire really earn the R rating have a fucking nine-year-old out there killing people and throwing them onto a bonfire otherwise yeah. just keep it pg-13 or better yet don't fucking have laddie in the movie it makes no well, sense or here's the thing 
and you can do that and you don't even have to kill a kid at the end because all you have to do is kill max and once you do laddie becomes human again so it's like oh then you can have a spinoff about laddie dealing with the fact that he's now a recovering human <laughs> i don't know but yeah that was very strange to me um i also thought uh max max's motivation for wanting a family comes out of fucking nowhere that's there's no establishment as to why again i have no idea how old he is as a vampire but i assume he's supposed to be an old vampire and all of a sudden he's decided he wants a full family and the idea that he needed lucy to like cooperate or want to become a vampire as opposed to just converting her and he was they were going to convert the children first like even that's like if we could get sam and michael first you only went after michael you never went after sam who was going to convince like was that was that what you were going to do with laddie was laddie your in game for sam because michael and sam had just gotten to the town and i feel like laddie was already on a milk carton well i got a lot to say the first this movie does something that I absolutely cannot stand when it comes up in movies. Like when Max is getting home and you have the fake out, like the vampires are coming to kill him. And then mm -hmm. like the bat kite kind of flies in his face. The whole time he knows it's established. That's those are his boys. I hate there's no reason for that scene to exist except to be a misdirect for the audience because no, but no other character is there to witness that it's just Max and the Lost Boys. Now, if you tell me that, like you were saying earlier with uh, David's death, like if there was some sort of real conflict between David and Max, okay. But otherwise, it, there's no reason for them to try to intimidate Max when everybody knows who everybody is. It's also a terrible misdirect because it's not but a few scenes later where Max is shown alive again. So it's like the vampires kill everyone they attack at night. So if Max isn't dead to me... The big reveal that Max was actually the head vampire at the end was not that big of a reveal. I'm like, this was just kind of a lazy misdirect because it's like, well, it's obviously Max then, like, because we've already given you all the clues. It's like, oh, but we had that dinner scene. It's like, well, I, I guess, but like now we're just going to have a lazy reason why the dinner scene wasn't real or whatever. Um, So here's my next question. Based again off of Grandpa's final line of the movie... Are there other vampires in Santa Carla? Because he says all the vampires. I would imagine that means he's encountered many a vampire. If that is the case, is Max the only head vampire in Santa Carla? Because if that's the case, there's a lot of people that are human again right now that we also have not decided to address. All right. If if there's only one head vampire to a community, imagine someone's flying and getting ready to attack when they suddenly become human and just plummet into the fucking ground. All right. There's a lot to address here. Or you're mid biting somebody when all of a sudden you don't have fangs anymore. That's a real awkward conversation to have. Like, what were you doing? Like, ah, I was just going to give you a hickey. Like, it's weird, right? That last line opens up so many doors in this movie. And I have no idea why it's in there. And I mean, plus, you know... It, My favorite line, but yes, no idea. <laughs> it just feels like they wanted to end it on a very comedic beat. I, I, It's iconic. I always, like, as soon as he... Because when I first saw the movie, and you're in a unique position because you just saw the movie the first time, but when he, when Grandpa, you know, is the deus ex machina and saves the day, and then he goes into the dark kitchen to open the refrigerator, 
The first time mm-hmm. I saw it, I'm like, he's going to turn around and be a vampire for sure. Yep. And then he delivers that line. So I'm like, did they just set that up as a suspense building gag? I can I can think of no other reason for it to exist and be shot that way. I agree. Also, there's a certain part that just crossed my mind. Are they implying that he's a werewolf? Because he always disappears at night. All of the bones he has around his house. Like that would be an interesting thing where there was a spinoff where Grandpa's actually a fucking werewolf. God, I think uh, a- it, it, back in time in 1987, people are kicking themselves for not not going that route. Because I never thought about him being a. I've thought about him being a vampire hunter, a werewolf. That's interesting. Um. So by my last little weird, and I'm sure there's other things I could like, <laughs> not nitpick, but question. But another thing I had is they we established that they don't have coffins, that they sleep hanging upside down like bats. I thought that was a cool image. It shows their grotesque vampire feet hanging upside down. Are we to assume that every time they wake up, they have to put shoes on first <laughs> before they can go do anything? Because you see those feet, you're going to know they're vampires. So I'm just... And not only that, like, I feel like if you become a vampire while you're wearing your shoes, you're definitely going to tear through them. And that's, those shoes are expensive. So, like, I just, as much as I love the visual of the feet and them hanging upside down, it also just makes me question the reality in which they live, where it's like, are they just going through, like, a lot of shoes? Or, like, what exactly is happening here? Well, it's like Mr. Rogers. They get home to the cave and immediately sit down and, and delicately take their shoes off and place them by the door. So, yeah, they don't they don't have to replace the shoes because they... But is there something in vampire lore where the vampire, like, completely changes the way their face looks when they're in vampire mode? I didn't understand that either because it's not like they always look that way at night. We see them at night, the whole movie, looking normal, but when it's time to kill, they they do the Incredible Hulk thing and do a transformation? I, I think that was for this movie, like, makeup. I don't know of any... I mean, or just I'm not as well-versed in vampire lore that I thought. I did think it was funny that, as you're saying, them sleeping... The scene where they wake up and then they go to attack the, you know, grandpa's uh, fortified house. I do love they went back to sleep after one of their own was staked through the heart in that cave. And at no point were those vampires worried that the hunters were just going to come back and kill him again. Like, I'm sorry if it's me and I watched my best friend just get killed, human or not. I'm not going back to sleep. I'm just going to wait it out for the, the sun to go down. But like, they're just like, ah, nah, they wouldn't possibly come back and try and kill us in our sleep again. That would be crazy. Yeah, it's like people who have like home burglaries, you know, spring for ADT and have like, motion sensors on their window but to your point they're just like damn it sucks about marco anyway i'm tired (laughs) just gonna go ahead and leave the sliding glass open the door open a little bit longer yeah are they sleeping above marco's dead body (laughs) i would imagine it's gotta smell terrible right (laughs) i mean melted vampire flesh down there i don't know um but yeah those were some of my major questions with this movie where it's just like and to your point, like vampire logic seems to be all over the place. And they they establish new vampire powers that never come up. I guess it's just to show how strong they can be. I don't. Yeah. I yeah. also thought it had to be a wooden stake, but apparently an antler can also kill them. Yeah, they played real fast and loose with everything. Like if if <laughs> if 
if Michael had been fully a vampire, like, because technically all the half vampires are turned back to normal, but none of the full vampires even survive to the end. So I'm like, if you're a full vampire, what happens to you? Are you saved as well? Yeah, I, I would assume that according to the logic, once the, uh, the main vampire dies, yeah, it so again, converts I everyone back. You're, again, it's rated R. Just fucking have Michael turn into a full vampire. Have have Michael kill somebody, and then, like you said, when he becomes human again, have to deal with the fact that he he killed somebody in a bloodlust. Like, can you imagine being like you were a vampire? You're now no longer a vampire, and you have to go try and find a job. Like the 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 gap in your resume for employment. It's like, not only that, you're having to get used to being awake during the day again. Like, that's got to be a crazy acclamation. Like, I guess you could try and do, like, night security guard. You know a vampire's not going to kill you. Like, that was the worst part. That carousel security or the boardwalk security guard, just doing his job. Just doing his job, and he gets lifted off and murdered by a bunch of punks. So. Yeah. And enjoyed the movie, but there's a lot of questions that are. <laughs> if this was a series and this was the pilot, I'd be like, okay, we're gonna get answers for all this eventually. But it's not. It ends here. This is the movie, The Lost Boys. Yeah, and I guess my last question before we move into a different segment, we we have the the POV shots of them flying. What do they look like when they're flying? Are they um, bad over or- budget? <laughs> over budget is what they look like. <laughs> Are they supermaning it? Do they have their arms extended? Are they flapping? Again, are they a bat? I It's weird to try to maybe think about what that it's looks mist. like. mist. Yeah, maybe it's just mist or something. Well, no, we get to see them fly in the house because they kind of hover when Michael and David have a fight. True. So And it didn't look a good. Little so bit. I can see why they didn't go for the outside shots. I also love when David is just like picking at Michael. Instead of just killing him. I was like, I don't understand that either. Why David's not just like, I'm just going to murder you for murdering all of my vamp. Yeah. Also, I guess being a vampire means you don't have any emotion because David is not really affected by the fact that he realizes that all of his friends are dead. But I guess if you could just create new ones that you'll spend all eternity with, uh, I guess it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And again, like you said, who knows how old he is? Maybe, you know, he's been alive for 500 years and has lost all elements of being a human. But again, we're giving the movie way too much credit to even consider that fact. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also, where did they get that giant portrait of Jim Morrison from the doors? Yeah, that is a good point because they say that it it took a <laughs> header huge. in like 1899. It's like, so <laughs> yeah. they clearly had to bring that down there. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not a poster. It's like a gigantic portrait, if I remember correctly, that is in that cave. But again, the real reason is Joel Schumacher really had a thing for Jim Morrison. It works. Uh, so our final segment of Five Point is Corey Feldman. So we'll just, you know, <gasps> forgot about discuss. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, how we felt about Corey Feldman in this movie, you know? Uh, I mean, like you said, why why do these 14, 13 year olds know so much uh, yeah, I, I thought he gave a a good performance. I, he's he's always Corey Feldman to me, but he brought a certain charm to the Frog Brothers. I didn't care for the uh, other Frog Brother. I believe it was James. Oh yeah, Newlander. that one was not good. Yeah, could, that was a good 
display of like, hey, one of these two actors will go on to be a big movie star for at least the next five to six years. And one of them will never be heard from again. You can clearly tell which is which. Yep. I thought Corey Feldman was fun in this. Uh, back to his character, you know, I so did. I thought that we were going they were implying that the Frog Brothers wrote those vampire comic books when they're like, oh, consider it like, I don't know why, but my that's where my mind went is like that, that those were comic books that they wrote and they wanted Sam to walk away with. But in reality, I, I guess it's just where they got their knowledge, their sage knowledge about vampire hunting from. I um, did enjoy the fact that they when the big moment came, they shrank. I did like because like you said, the whole movie, they are wise beyond their years and seem like the script seems to be written for 25 year olds and it's 13 year olds playing it. But I like that they kind of uh, chicken out when the moment comes mm. the first time. I thought that was a good touch. Like, hey, they are still kids. Right. Well, even to that point, they, they failed miserably. Again, Nanook is the real MVP of this movie because Nanook saves them. In the, I don't even like that they made it like, yeah, we took out the one in the bathtub. Well, Nanook helped. <laughs> it's like, okay, I, I appreciate the fact that you guys are at least mildly honest with what took place up there. But yeah, Nanook, the real MVP. The, on, the only tension I ever had in this movie is when Nanook is left outside. I'm like, they better go get Nanook. Not only that... When I was trying to figure out if Michael killed Nanook, that also got me. I'm like, oh, no, did Michael kill? Because when Sam starts walking through the after the bath, starts walking through the house looking for Nanook, I'm like, we're going to come in and we're going to find Michael just like either killed the dog or eating the dog or something like that. I'm like, I don't I man, don't kill Nanook. And they didn't. They did. You know? Yeah. Thank God. We're going to find out that Nanook is actually grandma. She's a or she's a werewolf. <laughs> Uh, see now i like the one chop shop setup brett it's working much better uh -huh. but that idea i wish you had chop shop this week because if you had done grandma as nanook good <laughs> lord the, the house would have came down <laughs> which it probably should have when max exploded in the fireplace <laughs> but um, <laughs> another question i don't know how what the house is built with but my god ooh, that's we, we need more like that it'll never crumble um all righty with that i think we were very brief on Corey Feldman. there wasn't a lot to say about it. like he was fun in this role uh i think he was by far the better of the frog brothers but being the Corey feldman trilogy we have to of course do a shout out for him so with that are you ready to move on to a couple of our other segments absolutely all righty let's do some blue book you had predictions that you believe, which I'm not trying to teeter you one way or the other, that this was a commercial success, right? This is your notion going into it. So I'm going to tell you that the sticker price on this here flick was 8500000 estimated. So 8.5 mil. What do you think it grossed U.S. and Canada? $32 million. Did you cheat? No. Because you fucking nailed it. 32? Yeah. Do you want to guess? We're going to do an extra bonus here since you did so well. What was its opening weekend, U.S. and Canada? Oh, fuck. In 1987, uh, 7 million. 
five million. Okay. okay. Five million. So worldwide, what did she bring in? Ah, uh, this is kind of cheating. Wait, did it not open worldwide? I don't think it opened worldwide. It, it brought in an extra hundred thousand dollars, so I'm assuming it didn't open worldwide. Okay. So yeah, it was so it brought in thirty two mil. Got real close to thirty two point five, but that's it. So yeah, kudos to you, sir. You uh definitely a commercial success on this one. Yeah, and I mean it's very much a commercial movie. Mm-hmm. I do wonder, though, if it was released today, would it be considered like a skeleton key type movie or something, you know, the uh, what was it? The the grudge or the ring. And then there was the dark water. Like, you know, is, would it just be one of the if you had made it PG-13, brought it down, would it have just been one of those like generic horror movies to get kids out of their parents house? See, I don't think so. I think the reason this movie was a success is. And I mean, it's undoubtedly true, and you touched on it. Dude, Michael looks cool as fuck in this movie. They're riding around on motorcycles. It's the ultimate, like, geared towards teenagers movie. So Mm -hmm. if it were made today, I think it would be... God, I'm too old to even be having this discussion. Whoever the the new hotness, the the, the 17 to... Basically, here's my hot take, Brett. I can imagine in a couple years some of the actors from Stranger Things being shot off into this kind of remake. Oh, I could see that. I mean, that would be an easy transition from Stranger Things too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's kind of the mold I would see this movie in today. It would be it would try to be the Hunger Games, but for teenage boys. Okay. All right. All right. You ready for some tag and title? I'm ready. I'm feeling a little bit iffy this week, but we'll see. Alrighty, Travis. I'm going to give you three taglines. One tagline is an official tagline for this movie. One tagline is for a movie I found adjacent. And one tagline was created by yours truly. What I need you to do is tell me an official tagline from 1987's The Lost Boys. Okay. When you can live forever, what do you live for? Life sucks when you're in a new town. Being wild is in their blood. Being wild is in their blood. I'm going to say that's from Lost Boys, The Tribe, which is technically a sequel to this movie. So uh, that's the adjacent. Uh, okay. When you, life sucks when you move to a new town. Life sucks when you're in a new town. And give oh, me sorry. The- Life sucks when you're new in town. Life sucks when you're new in town. What? And what was the first same, one? Same, 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 same thing. Um, when you can live forever, what do you live for? Those are, the two left are very strong taglines, and I'm just trying to figure out which one you made up. I think you made up when you live forever, what do you live for? I think you made that one up. Meaning the new in town is an official tagline of this movie. I'm excited, Brett, because in my head, I'm hearing the music that you overlay on this segment now. (laughs) Uh, So final answer. All right. You struck out on all three. Oh, (laughs) okay. Then I then flip the one you made up because I know you made up the other one then because it's just too good. 
Okay, uh, so we'll... <laughs> Life sucks when you're new in town was the one I created. That's that's a strong tagline, Brett. Well done. When you can live forever, what do you live for? Is 2008's Twilight. God damn it. <laughs> I, like, hey, I, like about... how, I like how I said it's going to be Hunger Games for boys when Twilight for boys was right there. <laughs> that's what I thought when you said it. I was like, oh, he was so close to Twilight. God damn it. Um, it's about a family that moves to a new town that just so happens to have a family of vampires and <laughs> they have to assimilate. Um, and being wild is in their blood was one of two official taglines for the Lost Boys. The other one being sleep all day, party all night, never grow old, never die. It's fun to be a vampire. A little too wordy. I thought the same thing. So, but uh, there you have it. Well done, sir. Well done. I, again, I'm still <laughs> hearing the music in my head, Brett. <laughs> Alrighty, do you have a time capsule for us this week? I do, Brett, and uh, I'm back with the the downer, depressing. Uh, <sighs> See, I was going to ask, do I get to do I get to guess if it's a death or an OC cast member? It's uh, it's 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 more it's definitely not OC, although Lost mm -hmm. Boys, the tribe did star Autumn Reeser, uh, who was on the OC. So there's your tangential. Uh, no, you were mentioning earlier, like the, the Max storyline. Mm hmm. So. Corey Haim, rest in peace. Uh, this was his first movie with Corey Feldman. They weren't the Corys yet when this movie came out, which. I always forget because it it seems like they were around for the whole 80s, but really they only started in 87 and by the early 90s, they were done. But the industry oh. kind of chewed up Corey Haim. And there are a lot of stories about like sexual abuse that happened to Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. Mm -hmm. uh, this movie also is about a young boy who moves from, you know, I think it's Arizona to L.A. and uh, falls under the influence ultimately of an older man, Max, who is trying to recruit him into his uh, group of boys. So it's kind of an uncomfortable parallel when you think about what happened to Corey Haim. So, yeah, that's my yeah. time capsule. This was their first movie. But the subtext, when you think about it in that regard, really makes you feel dirty watching this movie. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad that I didn't have any nostalgic for this movie because you might have ruined it. So. Yeah, I mean, the movie's not as good as, as I remembered, but then also thinking about that, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know if this is going to be a feel-good revisit for me. Huh. Anyway. Well, yeah, if you we're going to revisit it, but maybe change it into a different genre, Travis, what would you do? this week because in Brad, this week's chop shop <laughs> you had blockbuster I, it was blockbuster brett um so i mine this week is is it's pretty it's pretty solid but 
I did break some new ground. We're going to have a first in the history of my chop shops. You'll, oh, my God. Is it a prequel? You'll know it when you see it, Brett. Ooh, okay. Uh, but yes, I did get Blockbuster, so let me go ahead and pull this up. Um, now, I tried to stick a little bit closer to the movie this week uh, and just kind of punch up Blockbuster notes, but uh, here we go. So the movie opens on the boardwalk with mayoral candidate, mayoral candidate Fred Gwynn, which uh, are you familiar with the actor Fred Gwynn? I don't think so. He was in uh, Pet Cemetery. He was also Herman Munster. Oh, okay. Yep. So he was the original choice to play Max. So I just needed another character. I figured let's throw in Fred Gwynn. Okay. Uh, so he is running for mayor and he's delivering a campaign speech to a small crowd on the boardwalk. Uh, Gwen, Fred Gwynn promises to be tough on crime and help protect the children of Santa Carla. As he exits the stage, his aides escort him to his limo, and one of his aides whispered to him, We left a little gift inside, sir. Fred Gwynn smiles upon entering his limo as Star sits across uh, from him, giving a wry smile. Uh, back at Gwynn's hillside mansion, he escorts Star to his sleek, all-white bedroom where a mound of cocaine awaits. Star asks to use the restroom, and uh, Fred Gwynn tells her to hurry along and slaps her on the butt cheek. Uh, we follow Star into the bathroom as she leans against the wall with a concerned look on her face, which I feel like was her default look in this movie. Always looking concerned. Mm. Uh, after a beat, we hear uh, Fred Gwynn's terrified screams from the other room, along with bangs and thuds. Uh, the room begins to quiet as Fred Gwynn's screams turn to choking and gargling sounds, then to nothing but silence. Star opens the bathroom door and the formerly pristine white room is covered in blood spray and Gwen is impaled on a sculpture and we smash the credits, uh, the Lost Boys. Uh, the following day, right after sunset, Max arrives at his video store. He asks one of his young employees where Fred Gwen is. Uh, in parentheses, I say, Max has been helping Fred's mayoral campaign. Uh, you know, he was supposed to be here three hours ago. Max jumps in his car and drives out to Fred's house where he finds eight to ten police cars parked outside. Max finds out about the brutal murder of Fred Gwynn. Uh, he then announces that he'll be taking over for his fallen friend in the mayoral race and will use every available resource to, to find his friend's killer. Uh, we'll stick to the script basically with Michael, Sam, and Lucy and Grandpa. Again, we don't know if Grandpa's a vampire hunter or a werewolf, but stick to the script. <laughs> uh, Michael begins to hang out with the, the Lost Boys at the pier when one night Marco is arrested by local PD uh, being accused of the murder of Fred. David looks to Max prepared to murder the arresting officers but Max waves him off. Uh, the next morning Marco's dead body is found in his cell a metal rod driven into his chest which is ruled a suicide. Uh, the death of Marco brings the Lost Boys together and Michael drinks the blood uh, but in my script, it means he's a full-blown vampire. No, no half-ass shit. This is rated R. Uh, Max is elected mayor and instructs his boys to cease any violence in town. He tells them as long as he keeps his word about Santa Clara's crime rate dropping, he'll become a political superstar. David begins to suspect that Max used Marco as a scapegoat. Privately, he attempts to convince the rest of the boys that they'll need to kill Max. Uh, he'll finally present some sort of concrete evidence so that they'll believe him. Uh, Max will realize the boys are coming from him, 
and he'll hold up in his mansion. So this is a blockbuster. What I really wanted to do is play up that last act at the house, like make that a real true shootout blockbuster level. Um, oh, not, not necessarily with like the gimmicks, but like Home Alone, like the last act is just the battle in the house. Yeah, but uh, or is this not the last act yet? No, this is the last act, but okay, a, a harder edge, like yeah, you know, Max is the mayor; he's going to have private security, etc. You'll mm -hmm. see. Um, uh, Max will realize the boys are coming from him and holds up in his mansion. His small private security firm uh, is equipped to take down the Lost Boys. Uh, an extra as an extra layer of protection, Max. Max kidnaps Lucy, leading to Sam and the Frog Brothers joining in the, the mansion raid. So we're going to have all of our main characters, uh, Sam's grandpa, at the mansion. On the way to the raid, Michael is weak, uh, still having uh, resisted the urge to kill at this point. But as the group infiltrates the mansion, he'll see a uh, guard smack Lucy, his mom, as he leads her upstairs into the mansion. Uh, so that's going to make Michael snap and we'll cut to a member of Max's security patrolling perimeter of the house. When out of the shadows leaps Michael, he bites into the guard's throat and begins to suck. As the guard collapses, we see Michael has switched into vampire face. Uh, in my notes, I have mansion action, Manson, mansion action, action, action. So after a giant action montage of guards being brutally killed and some of the Lost Boys being killed, uh, we'll have the final showdown in the master bedroom of the mansion. Uh, the bedroom has a large second floor balcony overlooking the pool. After a brutal battle, Max has Lucy preparing to turn her into a vampire. Michael and David are the last two remaining of the Lost Boys, uh, with the rest of the boys dying in battle. As Max monologues about the future of the family, trying to convince Michael and David to join him, David yells out, What about Marco? What kind of family is this? Which of us will you sacrifice when you want to become the fucking governor? Max mocks David's idealism and says, it's treason then. When suddenly the glass patio doors behind Max shatter and he is impaled on what appear to be a set of antlers. Max rises in pain and screams as his body begins violently shaking back and forth before being flung off the balcony and into the pool, turning the pool a dark crimson. Back upstairs, Lucy looks up next to her to see a seven-foot-tall, red-nosed reindeer with vampire guts dripping from his antlers. Rudolph's nose begins to glow even redder as he makes eye contact with David, and the two seemingly share some form of communication. Rudolph turns back towards the now-open patio, looking up at a full moon before turning his head back to David. David slowly begins to pull himself off the floor and towards Rudolph. Michael grabs David by the arm, asking him where he's going. David snarls and points to Sam, Lucy, and the Frog Brothers. This is your family. I don't have one anymore. With that, an injured David climbs onto Rudolph's back, and Rudolph flies into the night sky as Michael runs out onto the balcony. After the camera follows Rudolph up into the night sky, it pans down to the mansion's driveway as Grandpa drives up and notices the reindeer fly overhead. He looks up at Michael, and the two make eye contact. Grandpa speaks. Hey, don't look at me. I didn't know about this shit. Roll credits. So you're creating a chop shop cinematic universe. I told you from the beginning, Brett, true Christmas season two is happening. 
And you might have just got a couple of players in season two. A little sneak peek. Uh, now, you know what you're doing, though. All right. As much as we like to bitch about it, you're pulling you're pulling a Marvel because this means when you do Christmas season two, anybody who hasn't listened to other chop shops isn't going to understand why David is there, or who David is like you're creating TV series and alternate alternate uh, media that people have to consume in order to understand what's going on in the in the movie. What else does Marvel do, Brett? Make money. It prints money. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, when True Christmas Season 2 comes along, you'll have had to have listened to True Christmas Season 1, our holiday special, and this episode. And God knows, this was Christmas oh. in July, Brett. We still got several months till real Christmas. So, who you know, maybe we'll revisit the True Christmas universe. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I just know that we have the second annual socially obligated Halloween trilogy that's going to have to come up. So who knows if a new character is going to show up in there. If you start making hard suggestions for a, a Halloween movie that you want to watch, I'll, I'll know what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's obviously my uh, my revolutionary turn this week uh, in I'll be honest with you, Brett, it took all I had not to text you during the week and and, and say something about what I was doing, but I, I held off and it was worth it to see your face and the Rudolph reveal. That's exactly what I was going for. That's why I love doing this podcast. <laughs> no, I am. I, I not only me, I know several people are eagerly, eagerly awaiting season two of of your Christmas story. So you keep calling it that, Brett. It's true Christmas. All right, let's get true the Christmas. let's get the branding right. You you came up with that name, Brett. True Christmas. All right, I'm gonna have to make a logo now. Alrighty, sir. Well, uh, final thoughts before we conclude this week. Uh, like I said at the open, this movie was not nearly what I remembered it to be. Uh, would I recommend it? I think it fits a certain sweet spot. Uh, it feels like the perfect movie where if you have a kid and they're getting to an age where they find like, quote unquote, kid stuff boring. This is kind of that intermediate introduction to horror. Like I, I could enjoy this if I was watching it with like a 12 year old to see what the movie did for them. Because when I was 12, I thought this movie was uh, like a landmark in horror and comedy. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's really the only enjoyment I would get out of it. And even then, now that I think about the Corey Haynes situation and the subtext of this movie, I don't know that I even want to watch it with a kid. So it's, it's, it's a visually an awesome movie to look at. It's iconic. I don't, I don't necessarily recommend it. It's it's not a must-see by any means. What about you? Yeah, I'd put myself on, in a very similar boat. I uh, I don't think it's a must-see. I didn't hate watching it. It's I think it is a fun movie if you're going to sit down with a couple people and uh, pop open a couple cold ones and maybe watch a movie. I think it would be a fun movie to commentate over. It would be my be best assessment of it. I, I could easily see, like... If it had been you, me, maybe friend of the show, Andrew, or a couple other people just sat down one night and put the movie on, like, I think it would be a lot of fun to riff on the movie. Not because it's so bad, but there's just stuff to talk about in the movie. I'm like, wait, what are they doing here? Like, it's it's fun, but it's also 
kind of bonkers. So, uh, you know, if, if you've got a couple people you want to sit down and watch the movie, I, I think you, you could have a good time with it. Other than that, I, I think there's plenty of other movies you could watch over this. It's, it's not going to be towards the top of my movies we've reviewed for this this series it'd be probably middle closer you know middle middle or bottom half somewhere around there uh so i didn't use this for time capsule but i was looking up a, a final quote to go out on do you michael do you know what his last name is the family's last name no it's emerson so jason patrick is playing michael emerson who the real actor named Michael Emerson played Benjamin Linus on Lost. So I thought that was kind of weird. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, other than that, Brett, I just like to read the TV guide. If you read the TV guide, you don't need a TV. Listen, Travis, you don't have to beat it. You just have to, it's just, God damn it. God damn it. This is why, this is why I don't do the quotes at the end. <laughs> This is why I don't do it. I got to get a quote to now, beat though, it. Because, uh, you ahead. don't have to beat it. You just have to try and keep up. Damn it. This whole time. I was so eager. I was so eager to drop that on you if you didn't use it and then completely botched it. Ooh, words are hard. And thus you made it 10 times better, Brett. So, yeah. Well done. I suck. <laughs> uh, what are we doing next week? Next week is The Goonies. Oh, fuck. <laughs> you were so excited to beat it, Brett. You just forgot about the Wheel of Destiny. Uh, yeah, here we go. Almost almost got through the episode without the Wheel of Destiny. All right. What would you call, would you say family-friendly or blockbuster on The Goonies? I would definitely say family-friendly. Family-friendly? All right. Ah, uh, came up family friendly. I have to spin again. Fuck! I got sci-fi. Oh. Okay. All right. I have to turn the Goonies into sci-fi. Tune in next week to see how I do it. I'm excited. Until then, I will uh, see everybody next week. We have some customers in the daytime. Oh, hey. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I, I don't mean to be a, a director, is... but that's not the way I intended that to be. Yeah. Then let's like, oh, no, I'm going to fuck this one up a couple times. Like, ooh, yeah. I like that you're doing your Diane like Weist, you know, voice, though. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> and we haven't seen you here in the sun, but when the sun's up in two weeks, I'll just do it post, fuck, in two weeks. You've got to be drinking people's blood. Like, or, you've got to drink people's blood to live. Dude, I'm telling you, yeah. my eyes are like crossing. Uh, you know, it's not great dialogue. I'll give you that. No, no, but I, I can't read for with shit right now. A mother and her two sons move in with their... I don't even think I had that one wrong. I think I just quit. I just think I'm in my own head. A mother and her two sons move in with their father in an eccentric coastal town in California in an effort to get their lives back. No, yep. Uh, in an effort to get their lives back in... Oh, no, I just have it fucked up in this sentence. Okay.
An eccentric coastal town, though. That was a mouthful. I, you got that on the first take. Where did you get their lives back? Okay. A mother and her two sons move in with her father in an, in an eccentric coastal town in California in an effort to get their lives back after a divorce. 